Uh, welcome to another episode of We're Calling It. Uh, I'm Connor Clifton, joined by Emily Hines and Maria Haig. Hey, y'all. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. So much has happened since our last record. I have stacks and stacks of news articles here, but the first one I wanted to talk about, uh, Maria, this is one that you pitched in our group email chain. It is about... Harvey flood relief isn't being doled out properly. And uh, this is from Houston Chronicle. Texas said inland counties had lower disaster risk, yet awarded them huge share of a billion dollars in Harvey aid. Uh, Going through this article, it's pretty upsetting. Um, So basically the Texas land uh, commissioner's office, people applied to receive some flood relief and some Harvey relief. And, um, it turns out that the people who got the biggest rewards uh, were very far inland, and Aransas got nothing. Mm-hmm. Port Aransas got nothing. Port Aransas got absolutely, which is nothing. Really wild because that was where the storm hit. It came ashore there, so mm-hmm. it seems really bizarre. Reading through this article, I know we. I don't know if we talked about it in the last episode, but we have discussed privately. Uh, that Houston and Harris County was infamously let off of this um, fund distribution, and we received nothing, even though we requested $1.3 billion. And eventually, uh, a bipartisan group criticized Land Commissioner George P. Bush, currently running for Texas General Attorney. Uh, We criticized him, a bipartisan coalition, and so finally he asked the federal government to give Houston... $750 million while uh, notably leaving out the coastal communities that is written about in this article. Yeah, that's I didn't even know anything about it except for the Houston Harris County part of it, because obviously that's where I live and I remember the outcry. And then so seeing this article and being like, wait, there's all these coastal communities that. Yeah, Harris County needs some money for sure. We had tons of damage, but like. Aransas was flattened. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean completely. It was awful. And the fact that they got nothing from it. I can't even imagine what, I mean, there was some alluding to a possible like partisan motive, but I don't even feel like it's necessarily as strong as that. The criteria was very confusing. Like there's a sort of a mix up between the federal criteria and then the state made their own criteria. And then the state enlarged the amount of counties that could apply when they didn't have to do that. So like one of the, it's Iola County or Iola Town is Mm -hmm. one of them that like wasn't originally even supposed to be able to apply because they're so far inland. And then the state loosened up who could apply and then awarded them a grant. Yep. And there was that one guy that was quoted in the article who was like, you know, they should come out here and look at this like sewage problem Mm -hmm. we have, which, okay, that's a problem. But I, I wouldn't argue that it falls under the criteria of like flood mitigation funding, Unless it's that much sewage. There, there was, it was flooding. They had flooding in the area, uh, but it, it wasn't Harvey flooding. Right. So flood mitigation, yeah, they, they definitely qualified for it. Um, I definitely believe it's partisan, uh, only because these are standards written by the Trump administration. And I think that they definitely pushed the big anti-city, pro-rural um, kind of, you know, uh, agenda, agenda. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thank you. And, um, hang on. I wrote it down here. Oh yeah. So Porter Randis rep, Randy Weber, who, um, <clears throat> votes with Trump 93.8% of the time voted against impeachment and against election certification in constant only 93%, 93.8%. Yeah. So he, mm. you know, rhino over here. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. Um, 
Trump still has considerable sway in the state, but Weber could also just be, you know, a huge sack of crap. Uh, he has yet to... Why not both? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Porque no> <laughs> <us>. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Weber has yet to appeal to the federal government to help his own district, because uh, he represents Port Aransas. So I definitely think that this is a partisan policy holdover from the Trump administration. Now, if more bipartisan people could get on to George P. Bush, who is going to be running um, for a wider state office or a bigger position in the state, uh, he might feel the pressure to give out more money. I'm not 100% on that. But it happened here in Houston, so I don't see why people just can't say anything. They might not have the mechanisms, too, in a smaller town to... Uh, to be able to do that. And they also might not have such cooperation that Houston has with Harris County too. Yeah. I mean, if it is, you know, coming from a place of partisan behavior, which given that he is the rep of Port Aransas kind of seems like, I don't know, like one of those dudes who moves over there in order to kind of continue the agenda. Randy Weber. I mean, he could, we have people who uh, in Houston ran for city council just to not do anything. Yeah, no, exactly. So it's like, you know, one of those, very abstracted, you know, conservative concepts, which we'll probably segue later into like Abbott's recent behavior in the ledge. But mm. like, you know, that any any kind of oversight, any kind of federal or, you know, government assistance is like contrary to how we do things here. Yeah. So it doesn't matter that it's an emergency. It doesn't matter because we'll just figure it out, a.k.a. like bring in a bunch of my friends, my buddies who are contractors to like do a bad job and take a really long time to fix this. Yes. Uh, I wrote a little, um, for each agenda item we had, I wrote a little Connor's soapbox. Oh my God. I, yeah, why did you tell us? We could have done that too. We I don't know. Have, yeah, why do you get the soapbox? Well, because I put together this agenda, all this. Oh, I'm sorry. Who sent you the link for the for the segment we are currently talking thank about? You, thank you for hitting control V. <gasps> yeah, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm just leaving kidding. the podcast. No, you leave the podcast. No, I. to be fair, I only wrote this down just so I could um, keep my thoughts contained instead of go all over the place all right well we'll put some theme music under this yeah i'll put something really dramatic in all the projects awarded hud funding deserve that money but houston texas and harris county does too rural texas often gets overlooked and while i think this fund distribution is rooted rooted in trumpian anti-city pro-rural identity product see this is why i wrote it down anti-city pro-rural rural identity politics i still believe these smaller counties deserve love however i think texas needs to implement a state income tax to better benefit all texans and also tillman fertitta's assets should be seized to pay for <laughs> tillman fertitta's ass should be seized my dude <laughs> should be seized wow. to pay for That's houston and harris county <laughs> yes no, i i i i'm not against these towns getting money to help out with their funding or with their flood mitigation but also like hey why did you avoid us here's one thing that really stuck out for me so from the article it says glo spokeswoman Brittany eck released a statement for the agency defending the process saying inland counties are important to coordinating a response to tropical storms which is important it's basically saying these people are opening up shelters and homes and we need to keep the roads clear and we need to they're like a backup system but you wouldn't need a backup system if you weren't flooding these coastal communities, which I feel like by not funding them, it's just fucking these coastal communities over. Well, Harris you know. County is absolutely the case in point, even though, you know, there are more directly impacted communities by storms like Harvey. I mean, 
we had a chance in, I think, the 90s to prepare for a Harvey-like event, and we didn't. And so it really, not a preventable disaster, but certainly one that didn't have to be as extreme as it was. Yeah. We had the opportunity to take preventative measures. But again, like the anti-spending ethos has just kind of led us down the path where we continually like fall into the same trap and make the same mistakes and pay for them. Yeah. Or, like we pay for them, you know, literally. <laughs> yes. Yeah, frustrating. Do you guys have anything else on this uh, topic or should we move on to Abbott's veto frenzy? Let's move on. I can't wait to hear your soapbox on this one. Yeah. <laughs> should we lead with Hang it? On. Well, last, <laughs> the last episode, Emily showed up with notes. And I was like, oh, shit. Well, that's <laughs> what she does. Emily takes notes. <laughs> that's her thing. Oh, um, are you talking about the Emily takes notes questions episode? No, no. Oh. Um, Our first the first record you had like you wrote notes for each little thing and I felt wildly unprepared. Well, I had a Google Doc that I had written notes in on my phone. I was doing incognito notes. Yeah, see, I'm not this isn't like well researched essays. These are well, like, you did it longhand in a composition notebook. So because I'm bad at like... taking notes. <laughs> that's why Emily takes notes yeah, that's and not Connor. Emily takes the notes, I edit the podcast. This is referential humor, folks. You gotta love it. <laughs> I guarantee you everyone listening to this knows exactly oh what we're it's about. a very niche audience right now. For now. For, for now. now. For, for now. now. Live apps coming soon. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> All right. Uh, I just wrote down um, every bill he rejected and the uh, reasons he gave, if he gave a reason. Oh, my God. Okay. There, there are some that I can't really push him on. All um, right. So Abbott vetoed 20 bills, a new personal low. Or I thought that was a good one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, oh, only 20. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, so he, uh, the, the biggest one is that he used his line item veto uh, uh, privileges to reject legislative funding for everyone who, all the state reps, all the uh, uh, state senators and their staff. So he just took that out of the, the budget this year and they're not going to get paid. And a very, which he has admitted, this is because of the Democrats walking out and and preventing a quorum from being held to vote on the voting rights bill. So that's the big one. And God. he is currently being sued for it. That is, I just, that's, that just feels illegal. It just feels illegal. I think it will be struck down in the lawsuit uh, or in the petition that the uh, d Democratic lawmakers uh, submitted to the Texas Supreme Court. Uh, they said, hey. This sets the precedent for him to do this to the judiciary as well, which might get the judge to go, ooh, well, I don't want to lose my money, so I'm going to make sure you get your money. Or who knows? It's an all-Republican court, so they could be like, no, y'all made your bed. You have to lie in it. And then it goes to the Supreme Court, which who knows how that could go. This definitely, to me, feels like a very classic playing politics episode like even if Abbott it seems like something Abbott might do knowing that it would get struck down just to make a point and just to fuck with people and make things difficult and one of the things he said was like well now taxpayers are going to have to pay for these special sessions that we're having a call because of this democratic walkout and it can just kind of place the blame mm -hmm. for right. there elsewhere even if he knows that it's going to get struck down in there and we're going to end up Whatever, you know, it's, it seems like it's theatric, political theatrics. Oh, yeah. Me. Well, that's it's, the MO. I mean, a yeah. lot of the bills that are really objectionable get forward, they get forwarded down here for that exact reason, not only to like yeah. test out the like legislative waters as to whether they're viable, but also to create that log jam. Yeah. There are a lot of uh, pro life 
advocates who are critical of the abortion bill just to go like it has a poison pill in it like you know that it's going to get struck down and same with the gun rights bill uh there are some gun rights advocates who are like what what are you doing the same thing happened when they had open carry passed a few years ago they're like don't do this because now we can't take concealed handguns into places so the the new handgun bill is permitless concealed carry you can just fucking have a permitless gun. open carry you just have a gun yeah everybody can just be like a yosemite sam like go into the walmart like need my gun you know I obviously I wasn't born here. You know what it really shows. <laughs> but you do need a permit to have a concealed weapon. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, at least there's that. Yeah. You need to have a permit. It's like, I'm, I'm hiding it. You can't see it. But I don't know. Y- y'all know. I, I, I like guns. I'm okay with that. I'm on the admin side of the revolution. I maintain that. <laughs> I'll be paper pushing and like putting together lunch pails. Hey, I'm all on board with a, 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 a gun registries, and we just like let everyone know. But I do think that the open carry, uh, constitutional carry, is a little dramatic because where do we go from here? The open, gun rights. open carry bazookas. I mean, it really. I mean, it gets absurd. I mean, we did have yeah. the like sword. You're like, you can carry a sword in Texas. Like, okay, Highlander, fine. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's why this shit keeps passing because like nerds like you, <laughs> you guys are the long gun samurai, like libertarian. Like, I, I, I will not stop until I have my Final Fantasy gun sword. <laughs> I think that, so I apply the just because you can doesn't mean you should rule to pretty much everything, everything. And it definitely applies to guns and swords and bazookas. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And just like, stop and think about it. Like, why do you want to do that? I don't get it. I don't understand. I'm on team. People wouldn't get shot if we didn't have guns. Yep. I don't want to be on the record like too often in the early apps being like, yep, my stance is melting him and shooting him into the sun with the last gun left. <laughs> you, you know, Beto O'Rourke. Yeah, buddy, what up? I'll do an ollie all over the resistance. <laughs> I'm definitely, I grew up around guns. I'm definitely in favor of uh, responsible gun ownership. I, you know, I don't think you should be allowed to buy one unless you've had adequate training. Um, and we need to, Texas isn't even willing to sit down and talk about what does adequate training look like. They yeah. Won't, they won't and in that, that case, I feel like you shouldn't have guns. Hmm. I mean, the thing is that, and then, you know, not to belabor it cause we have a lot more to talk about, but yeah, like, we're actually not even supposed to be talking about this. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the truth is that the data just exists, right? Like if you have it in the home, you're more likely to die by it. Period. No questions asked. Like that just is well, true. Yeah. If you didn't have a gun in the house, then it wouldn't kill you. Well, I mean, I that's, that's kind of <laughs> the point. People are like, oh, you know, you got to make sure you lock up the gun and make sure we have like mental health resources. And it's like, you know what? A lot of people. I feel like the logic behind that is like, well, if you have a giant axe in your house, odds are like the chances you're going to chop some wood. The the chances (laughs) of you dying from an axe. No, 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 no. By having an axe in the house in the first place. You can't. Oh, my God. An axe is different than a gun. It's really. You cannot make an impulsive decision to like axe yourself so you're saying it's harder what I mean, you're saying could, is that but... if you have a gun in the home you are more likely to give in to like your emotional whims, accidents domestic violence okay. you know suicide those those instances are the most likely causes of your death by gun if you have one it's not intruders it's not like you know it's just accidents like random stuff and yeah. i just I, we're so far off topic with this. I just feel like we shouldn't be talking about gun rights on hey, episode two. Hey, we're in we Texas. Can, you know, we I want to. 
<laughs> we can save the gun rights discussion for our live episode. Holy moly, and I don't want to get shot at that. If you're on Team Connor, fire your guns into the air. Voice your support. If you're on Team Emily and Maria, blow your kazoos real loud. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This might be good to save for an, a, a formal debate style episode Ooh. oh gosh Ooh. which i know connor would love <laughs> of course you love it yeah all right all so right. We'll, we'll move on then other vetoes by yeah. our boy well, abbott the, the, uh house bill 686 which uh it is earlier parole eligibility for convicts who committed crime under 18 years old parole panels would have to consider the inmate's age and mental state when the crime was committed abbott claimed a bill would add needless disruptive litigation mm. You know, that's one of the ones where I'm like, uh, I guess, but like this is, this is part of uh, Speaker of the House Dade Phelan's effort to have like better sentencing reform here in the state of Texas. Moving on, SB two eight one ban testimony given under hypnosis. <laughs> which, <laughs> Wait. Yes, he he vetoed this, and Abbott claims he. <laughs> Abbott claims he objected to a late amendment that would that he claims would have expanded the scope of the bill beyond its original intent. And I guess the line item veto was a no go here, but appropriate for their salaries. Moving so on. I think uh, I just like to clarify. I think that we no longer use hypnosis. Because it kind of sounds like we were until just now. Yeah, I think that we don't currently use hypnosis. And Abbott was like, you know what? I got to tell you, I'm really into this whole hypnosis yeah. thing. So I, th I think it's kind of like a retroactive thing. Like we don't get to throw out testimony made under hypnosis that was made in the past. I think I'm not totally sure. Very but sleepy. Yeah. Well, he, <laughs> he, he, he also cited uh, advice given to him by his advisor, the Grand Vizier. No! <laughs> Who had a spinny spiral mind? He starts coming out with a huge serpentine yeah. staff. Yeah. Hey, y'all, this is fake news. We're veering into, into fake news. It's satire. Yeah. <laughs> it's protected. All right. Um, okay, this is this one got uh, Twitter pretty pissed off around the nation. SB 474, the Safe Outdoor Dogs Act, which would have made it illegal to chain up dogs and leave them without water, shade, and shelter outside. Abbott said... Fuck them dogs. Abbott claims we already have protections and this is micromanaging. But to counter that, the Texas Humane Legislation Network claims this bill would have clarified the current laws that have vague language that makes them pretty much unenforceable. Um, so he says, ah, this is too much micromanaging. And other people, activists in the state said, no, you don't understand. This was allowing us to en enforce these laws. Yeah. So, yes, Twitter, what did they say? Hashtag Abbott hates dogs. Yeah. It's, Not a good look, but he'll recover. He'll win again if yeah, he runs. Yeah, he just needs one photo op of him. Petting a dog. And he's golden. I think probably, uh, I would imagine law enforcement agencies are happy that he vetoed that because it would just be like one more thing for them to have to deal with. Like they already get called on so many animal control issues um, that they shouldn't have to deal with. Um, so I bet that cops are like, thank you. Yeah. I mean, that kind of highlights why we shouldn't have as we, the cops shouldn't be doing all that kind of stuff. We should just have better animal control and like humane services, but. Oh man, I have a good anecdote. So Joe's boss told him recently that she called the cops because there was a snake in her garage and they actually came because if they can't, uh, if they, if they can't, if, if animal control or bark or whoever is, is too, just can't take the call, the cops go. And she tried to get the cops to shoot the snake <laughs> in her garage. <laughs> I'm 
sorry. I was trying really hard not to laugh when you said she called the cops on the snake, but then they're fucking it's shooting really the funny. snake. Yeah, and the cops had, were like, "Come out with your hands up!" Oh shit. <laughs> I bet the cops were laughing too, and um, I bet they shot the fucking. Snake. No, they didn't. They oh refused. God. Wow, amazing restraint on the yeah. part of the police. Yeah. They used their tasers. Must have been a white snake. They, oh, sorry. Yeah. So they were able to practice some judgment control and restraint when this homeowner asked them to shoot a snake in her garage. Wow, I'm really that one. That's gonna stick around. That's with a good me. one. I'm gonna take yeah. that with me. Following up, the red lobster. <laughs> That's pretty good. Oh, my God. Um, moving on, House Bill 2667, which was the rural broadband bill. Um, this is interesting. Greg Abbott has named or has named one of his big causes in legislative sessions to be expanding broadband access. He's created two councils so far to bring rural broadband access to uh, uh, the state of Texas. And he claims he, re- he vetoed this. Because it would have increased taxes for all Texans, which, you know, that's a big no-no here in the state. But I've been looking into the bills, and if anybody out there, you know, makes a habit of reading legislation, maybe you can help me with the language here. But I don't think it does raise taxes. I think it makes uh, telecommunications providers and voice-over internet protocol services pay for... uh, I think they have to pay a tax for high cost rural areas. And those are not very clearly defined. So I think this is the case of like this bill might not have been very well written. Well, it's also not out of uh, out of the scope of things that are possible for Abbott to uh, not want to tax businesses, too. And it just in the interest of being friendly to these uh, Internet providing services. Now, um, he, he did make a point to say that he did sign Senate Bill 5, which established the creation of the State Broadband Development Office. So that's the second uh, agency, followed by the Texas Governor's Internet Reliability Council, I believe is the name of it. The, the, the listeners are going to get on me. Well, it's a, whole, it's a big infrastructure thing. So really, you know, yeah. obviously I am of the opinion that it should be, you know, a state government project or a federal project since... Broadband access in rural areas is so bad. It's so mm-hmm. behind. I mean, our internet generally here, infrastructurally, is really crap. <laughs> you know, it could be so much better. Coincidentally, one of the cities that we talked about that was not getting, uh, uh, that applied for, yeah. I want to go back a little bit to the first segment that was discussing the flood mitigation relief funding. And one of the cities was request i believe port aransas was requesting a oh yeah on. for the underground uh, F- fiber optic fiber network, optic network oh, yeah. Yeah. that can withstand mm-hmm. floods mm-hmm. which i'm all in favor for yeah. and they should have done that i think the entire state should do that yes uh but you know here we are <gasps> moving on sb 1109 required middle and high school students to learn about child abuse prevention family violence and dating violence and Greg Abbott vetoed this because the bill did not give parents the options to opt out, which if you are the kind of parent that wants your kids to not learn about that, you probably don't want them to realize that you are a crappy parent. I will make that claim. I mean, just it's really interesting, this whole the broad array of things that he's vetoing on what are really consistent, you know, kind of like principled grounds as yeah. far as he's concerned are just so broadly applied 
like why like he doesn't i don't think he understands what it makes him look like to be like well i don't want kids to be forced to learn about consent and like what abusive behavior looks like because that's liberal shit you know like so critical race theory is also like for sure on the block and we don't have to talk about that today but similarly they're like well if you don't have an option to choose what kind of information you're getting from the public school then yeah uh, <laughs> do, you, do you think that this is more a uh, principle-based veto then? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's the same, like n- too much micromanaging, too much like government involvement in people's choices. You know, okay. people should be able to choose whether or not they learn things like that they need to know. They should be able to consent to that kind of knowledge. And of course, it's all situational since, of course, like people should not have the f- choice to like, you know, control their reproductive rights and other such things. But in these cases, you know, that's why it's so... yeah frustrating on a, like a systemic level to understand how to fight against this. I imagine the heritage foundation made a few calls and was like, you need to know what this will lead to. It's frustrating too, because the state will happily tell you that you can't teach evolution or can't teach certain things and not have any worries about, um, wanting to let kid you let parents opt out of that information. So it's a, a double standard. Yeah. It is. And finally, SB 237 uh, reduced criminal trespassing penalties to cite and release. He vetoed that um, for a few reasons. Um, Primarily, uh, he was focused on Austin's homelessness population and how cite and release won't prevent people from going on to other people's property. Um, And it gives cops, you know, uh, an option to just throw them in jail and forcibly remove them from the property. I don't really like it. I think criminal trespassing should be cite and release, but you know. is cite and release just like, hey, could you get off my property? You get a ticket. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you, but you still get penalized. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, if you don't show up to your court date for that, if you don't pay the ticket, that will get you in, thrown into jail. I mean, it's criminalizing property. Yeah. I just listened to this whole. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Y'all listen to ninety nine percent invisible. <laughs> I don't. Um, it's really good, actually. It's a design podcast, but they just had a, a whole episode about this um, right to wander that exists in the UK that was fought for by these, you know, working class dudes are from or people. Really, um, it was a really diverse and pretty inclusive group for the time in like the early 1900s. They basically fought for the right to walk across countryside land, which for you know thousands, really thousands of years almost, had been owned by you know land owned you know, manced people, nobility, gentry, wealthy people. And so all these people who had to work in these cities and these factories after the Industrial Revolution, they like lived in these beautiful areas, but they couldn't walk across them. So this group got together and they literally like rambled across private land and fought for the right to be able to wander across private land. So there are areas that are set across off of privately owned land where you cannot prevent people from what you can't maybe go all the way up to the house, but you can conceivably walk the length of the British Isles on private land because you have a right to wander. And that existed in the US. We used to have that. There was more obviously open land, but when we, you know, when we fenced the West, literally as we moved west, we began to like increasingly become propertarian. Which also goes hand in hand with obviously like capitalistic conquest, manifest destiny, racism, like eugenics, all of the shit. But it's just a fascinating thought. Like imagine walking wherever the fuck because you have a right to the land just as much as that asshole who owns it. Quote quote unquote. unquote, Quote unquote. Yes. Yeah. Quote unquote. Hmm. Sorry. Got very passionate about that. I'm into myself having the right to wander, but anytime someone just walks their dog in front of my house, I'm like, who is that? 
unlearn your shit, Connor. Well, it's because I, I spent the past like three years living secluded from the rest of the city. No, so I know. So if anyone drives by, I'm just like, who the hell deigns to come across my street? Um, that's true. That's some stuff we all just need to get over. Yeah. Um, and just let people walk around. It's fine. I get, that's tough. Like I get, and I have friends who are homeowners and have homeless people um, camping out in the lot next to them or camping out and, and encroaching on their own property and experiencing tension and stress about it because of it. But I don't think it's good. I don't think it's good to criminalize throwing them in jail is not going to be helping anybody. And if we're not addressing any of the causes of homeless, you know, like most homeless people, not most, I won't say any generalizing things, but like they need mental health services. So if we're not going to provide those, if we empty out the mental hospitals in the eighties and just throw everybody into the street who needs to be taken care of and really protected, then what the fuck? What are they supposed to do? Yeah. It's unethical to penalize people without addressing the root of the problem. And I feel this way, too, about policing. And I feel this way about all sorts of things. It's just wrong and unethical. And it's backwards. And I feel that way about this. It's a very Austin move, but it's not really unique to Austin. Mm. It's a very Seattle move, to be honest. Seattle's okay. very weird. Has always been really weird on that. But really, the tech. The tech. Tech people. <laughs> San Francisco, Seattle, Austin. Wow. They will that it's just a quick solution to, you know, it's like it's a feature, not a bug or whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. get it out of here. Gone. I, I don't know. I, I I didn't even stop to make that connection. Do you think that um I mean Houston's desperately trying to become a tech hub. Do you think that we are um, we're on the way to doing that, or have we been doing that already? Well, certainly. So the Ion in Midtown is supposed to be a tech hub center, and it has been incredibly instrumental in displacing the homeless community in that in that area, um, and not only displacing the homeless community, but displacing resources that they use to literally survive yep. and eat. Yeah. Um, and so, yes. Okay. Definitely yes. Also. The concentration of like unhoused people in that area is also a product of like I think it was one of the three or something big like service organizations or shelters, but that shut down. So everybody had to live somewhere. So they moved over to the like light rail whatever transfer stop over there by Maine, which is where the Ion is, and it's just really disruptive, and it's very inconsiderate. The community is speaking out, but of course it's already done. You know, they built it. It's done. Yeah. So yes, I guess I've been advocating for low barrier shelters in the area. And I mean, occasionally it gets brought up at city council and their response is always, no one wants a, a low barrier shelter in their neighborhood. And I always email them afterwards and say, Hey, I was listening at this meeting. I just want to let you know I'm in district D I'm around this neighborhood all the time. I want a low barrier shelter in my neighborhood because they're here already and we're not caring for them. What is a low barrier shelter? A low barrier shelter means that there are no uh, requirements imposed on the people who stay there. They don't have to pass sober sobriety tests. Mm -hmm. They don't have to go look for work in the morning. They can use if they, you know, no one's going to, there aren't cops patrolling, um, et cetera. Like there, there are safety mechanisms in place and, and there's sanitary, uh, th- sanitary concerns are being taken care of because there's restrooms, there's trash cans. They are cleaned up regularly. They're housed literally like they have roofs over their head. Um, and then there are services provided if people want them, but you're not required to take part in them to stay there. Yeah. Houston seems to pride itself on its neoliberal we can do it ourselves kind of attitude what would happen if 
we just opened one up. We wouldn't. That, I we mean, wouldn't. It, I don't think we will. I don't think we will because yeah. we, I think in general as a society, we have a very like, I would say puritanical attitude towards what like people's oh, problems are. I, I meant like if uh, a coalition of like five people just like got a house and converted it, could the city of Houston stop them? Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Yeah, they might. I mean, if people complained. Because uh, you would have to. get zoning laws like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Suddenly we have zoning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would have to think a little bit more about that. But you would really need to get the community that the shelter is in mm. on board so that they wouldn't complain. Mm-hmm. Which is difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like a, you know, it's an ethos thing. I think that we just don't have that understanding, you know, which is funny because I think about, it's a very Protestant thing to me because I think about, you know, I studied medieval history as an undergrad and I remember, you know, kind of learning about how everybody kind of default is Catholic at that time. But the approach to, you know, people who were poor or struggling or not really being able to support themselves was like, they are the wretched of God's people. We need to take care of them. It's our responsibility. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, obviously that's more of a predestination sort of concept, but that they are poor is through no personal failing. That's gotcha. Protestantism. Catholicism was like, that sucks, but you know what? We all suck. So yeah. it's important for us to be good people and help you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Most of the charities that assist the city with homeless care are Catholic. Go figure. <laughs> and, and they do not have low barrier. Uh, Absolutely not. Yeah. No. As I understand, the Catholic charities have a lot of rules about you've got to be sober and you can't even oh, curse. Yeah. And also they kick you out in the morning because the idea is that you're supposed to be out looking for work all the time. And it's co- they have all their coercive services like pregnancy crisis centers that are like disgusting. Uh, so, gotcha. you know, it's not always really translating into modernity. But thinking just of a slightly different approach to how we see people who are in need or in crisis around us. Okay. Well, uh, speaking of private property, we can move on to segment C, which is Abbott's big, dumb border wall. (laughs) Greg Abbott, uh, a few weeks ago, I feel like now a month, uh, announced that he was going to be moving forward on constructing a border wall and relying upon, drumroll, Texas donations. That's right. He's crowdfunding a wall. He's uh, allocating $250 million in state funds as a down payment. And he collected 450K, over 450K, specifically 459,000 in donations. And if you want to know anything about those donations, submit a fucking reco- uh, FOIA. We should submit a FOIA. Submit a FOIA. Yeah. Man, I can't say FOIA. 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 Submit a FOIA request if you want to see uh, who donated. donated and how much they donated. Tell them for cheated. No. Yeah. <laughs> for sure, well, though. <laughs> I, would, I, w- I would wager that it's predominantly non-Texans. Oh, yeah. I Fair. think that this is, uh, you mentioned it earlier, this is uh, political grandstanding. This is partisan polit- political theater. Uh, I don't think it's any coincidence that he's running for re-election next year. And I think that um, this is... This is just stupid. I don't think anything is going to come of it. I really liked in the article that we were sharing amongst ourselves that um, they shared that uh, Arizona did the same thing, could you know set aside a certain amount of money and then relied on private donations and ended up abandoning the project because once they got going into it and had the project managers and developers, they were like, oh, this is going to cost billions of mm-hmm. dollars. And no one, <laughs> no one 
is going to want to spend billions of dollars on a border wall, oh except for, I just don't think it's, I, I don't even think Abbott wants to spend billions of dollars on a border wall. No. I think no. it's just political yeah. I, theater. I, yeah. I think that uh, a lot of this money is going to spend uh, be spent on photo ops of Abbott in front of a couple of panels, and that will be used for his reelection campaign. Uh, I think this is unofficially money for his reelection war chest. And two things that I found really, really outright hilarious is that Abbott is requesting that Biden has the federal government return the land that Trump already used or seized through eminent domain uh, from private property owners because he believes they will willingly. willingly give it up for the cause. And he is either a moron or he's just flat out lying because he knows it's not going to happen. He's flat out lying. Yeah. He's not a moron. We can say a lot of things about Greg Abbott, but he's a conniving son he, of a bitch. Yeah, he definitely knows what he's doing. I mean, that reminds me about um, what's-his-face saying, we would all rather freeze than uh, be on the national grid. During... Dan Patrick? No, Sounds... it was um, like corn dog guy, Rick Perry. <laughs> corn dog Rick Perry guy. said Didn't that? he say that? He was like... Hang on. Possibly. <laughs> I feel like... Hang on a second. We've I... been told that... You know, we should let people die multiple times My by God, our leaders. It was Rick Perry. Yeah. I love that you're corn dog guy. I love that you're corn dog guy. Why why corn dog guy? Did I Look miss it something? up. Look up Rick Perry and corn dog. <laughs> All right. That's gonna be on your search history, dude. That's fine. Rick Perry on Dancing with the Stars is like a, a routine gif on my phone. <laughs> Rick Perry eating a corn dog. Another shameless attempt to steal Michelle Bachman's thunder. What? There's just oh. a lot of <laughs> Wait, show me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah, okay. So it's a picture really, uh, of <laughs> going to town on that corn dog. Him bodying a fucking corn yes. dog. It's like halfway in his mouth and I don't think he's chomped it. I I don't think It's vulgar, dude. I am very surprised that his team allowed that to uh be released to the Rick public. Perry corn dog, Anyways, y'all. Corn dog guy. Okay. So he did say we would rather freeze than join the national grid. Yes. Yeah. During the freeze during yeah. the freeze yeah anyways that it's off topic but it just that sentiment reminded me of abbott saying like these people would willingly give over their private property that they didn't willingly give over yeah. to the federal to government Trump. yeah yeah goofy i don't think anything's gonna come of it i think it's all just goofy and silly and i i don't think abbott thinks anything's gonna come it's of a huge it. waste of time and yeah. i think you're right if he can he'll probably end up diverting funds to his campaign war chest which i think is probably also illegal but he'll probably get away it's with illegal it. but i think if it's like spent within the purview of the project itself such as no it was a photo op so that we could generate funds because it's crowdfunding and he will it's, it's it just seems like a gray murky area that he can t- use he doesn't advantage. have to spend the money on his campaign for it to help his campaign yes. yeah and he he is running again i thought that for some reason that this was his first or second term oh I think he's running again. Oh, isn't I, th- he? I thought he was. I just assumed he was, though, to be fair. <laughs> anyway, he doesn't need to build any photo op panels. We've already got a couple down there. We've already made some photo oh, yeah. op panels. Yeah, he's running for a third term. Oh, okay. I, was, I guess I didn't know how many they could have. Is it three or four term limit? Which is a lot of terms. Let's see here. Texas governor terms. I thought we only had two, so that's why I thought he was done. But I was wrong. Clearly. Rick Perry was, uh, let's see here. You can. Corn dog guy, you mean? Corn dog guy. Corn corn dog man. (laughs) Um, 
That's so much better than being like, he's the guy who forgot the name of the agency he was like running or whatever. <gasps> oh my God. What? You have to be at least 30 to run for governor. Is this my time? <laughs> Tell us how many terms you can run for. It's not interesting material if you're just Googling no, on the podcast. No, no term, term limits. limits. Oh, my God. How Texas, fucking liberal these blue Democrat dogs. They're taking a page out of FDR's playbook. What the hell? It's a little silly. So, yeah, he could, I mean, he, he'll just run that and run That rat and bastard will win every fucking time until he's dead. That's right. Rick Perry, uh, let's see here. He sought the nomination for president in 2016. When did he stop being governor, Rick Perry? I don't Hot think this is super interesting, though. I no, think let's, let's move, move on. on. I find People, it very Well, we can have another podcast called Connor Googles for a while <laughs> while we make small talk. But, like, right. let's get back to the Fine. Let's get Sorry, back to Sorry, listeners. I can't tell you. Y'all can Google it. All right, we'll move on to uh, something really wacky that Chip Roy said. Uh, U.S. Rep. Chip Roy made a bold claim about defunding the police and its relation to the murder rate. And he said, I've got the direct quote right here. Oh, let's reimagine police by getting rid of them. What do you have? You have a doubling of murder in Austin, Texas. It's insane. Uh, It's actually quite a misleading claim because uh, he's using percentages instead of actual numbers and when you use percentages it's um you know it's it's easier to make more alarming statements and uh one that's specifically sometimes cited, even when you use actual numbers it can seem alarming yeah like one of the examples that they say is el paso had a murder rate of three in january at the first quarter of 2020 and then and then six or something it was a uh, city of el paso recorded two homicides in the first quarter of 2020 and five homicides in the first quarter of 2021 thus a 150 percent increase which yeah. honestly low murder rate in el paso like yeah. overall i didn't mean to yeah. derail your intro though i'm sorry no 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 no. that's that's that is exactly the intro uh i only had one other paragraph here by comparison the city of houston recorded 16 more murders in the first quarter of 2021 than the first quarter of 2020 but because houston's total homicides is a much larger number 94 in the first quarter of 2021 the 16 additional murders results in a much smaller percentage increase 20 percent so it's it's if anything we we fu- we extra funded our police and we got more murders. We did. <laughs> like literally. Um, we had I wrote it down here. Hang on. Yeah. We uh in many cities murders have gone up alongside police budgets. Houston added 20 million to its budget and saw a 20% uptick in homicides in the first quarter of the year. Dallas and Fort Worth saw similar increases. The clearly budget fluctuations aren't as impactful as Chip Roy claims. No. It's a pretty misleading statement. It's a bold statement. That doesn't necessarily paint the uh, the entire picture. Well, it's convenient to say. Yeah. And there's also, n- I could be way off here, but I don't think there's really any evidence that a decrease in police budget leads to an increase in crime. No, there's not. Um, what is currently leading to the national crime wave that we're experiencing, it's not just Houston, it's not just Austin, it's not just Texas, it's a national crime wave, is the pandemic. Yep. Mm-hmm. And everyone being unemployed, everyone being sick as hell, Everyone being stressed Mm -hmm. and stuck um, together at home, stuck at home, uh, using and abusing more than they were or would have in other circumstances. These are the things that are contributing to the crime wave. And it's so, so frustrating to keep funding police that is reactionary and not preventative um, when what we need to be doing is caring for people. Yeah. I mean, it's like literally, again, calling the cops on a snake. We just don't have 
an infrastructure that exists in our mind beyond the police as the people to call, which I have no sympathy for police, but they're not trained to do that shit and they shouldn't be called to do it. So I'm sure it can be a hard thing to navigate whether or not to shoot a snake or take care of like a person who's having a mental health crisis. Right. But like, why are we, why are we still funding the police then? We literally like, it's so frustrating that he would say that because it's like, okay, then Houston, literally the city, the biggest city closest to Austin. We're bigger than Austin. Look what we did. Look what happened. Shut up. And it's also frustrating because our current chief and uh, multiple chiefs working within the organization say the same thing. They, they say that policing doesn't prevent crime. They say that the mental health crisis diversion programs work, but they're underfunded. They're just unwilling to release that funding themselves. Mm. Because why would they, right? I mean, it's yeah. just an immovable object meeting an unstoppable force. Like the police will are and always will be self-preservation motivated to the you know to an excessive degree i mean they're the strongest union in the fucking country you know so even if they admit it they still won't let go of the power share that they hold economic or financially in terms of budgeting yeah so frustrating but i really appreciated this article because i had been struggling with okay how do you make the argument like how how do you come back to people who say well, we if how, how how why do you want to defund the police when crime crime is on the rise? And this article gave me personally a really a better handle on how to handle that conversation yeah. um, personally. So I found it really helpful. I mean, it just do you think? Obviously, the, the no major city is gonna just like completely defund the police. Uh, not right now. But do you think that if we actively tackle the issues that lead to crime uh that eventually it'd be like hey crime numbers are down there's absolutely no reason for your budget to be as high as it is so now we're going to start decreasing your budget you'd really have to overhaul who is on city council um and who is the mayor like it would have to be a real institutional uh it would have to be an institutional overhaul and also really in that situation really would need a ubi Mm-hmm. Or need like really, really low unemployment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is stuff that like is difficult for localities to do. It's not impossible. We did do a direct cash payment one time over the past year. Um, people had to apply for it. It wasn't easy. It wasn't automatic. Um, but that is something that's so much easier to do on the federal level just through the tax system. So, uh, and I would also argue that if crime numbers went down dramatically, they would say, see, it's because of the <laughs> amount of funding we have and the amount of policing Absolutely. we're doing, you know? Yeah. So, no. Absolutely. See, yeah. you bought us a tank five years ago. and then This is why the crime, yeah, yeah, we blew no. everybody up. <laughs> well, uh, these are all such horrible bummer stories. And I want to get to the biggest bullshit feel-good story uh, of the docket. Still obsessed with this story. I want to talk about Teal the dog, (laughs) the very good boy. The best. Uh, Maria, you are very into this. Do you want to tell us about Teal the dog? Yeah. Let me see the paperwork so I can get the team name right. But there is a foul ball dog who belongs to the groundskeeper of a minor league baseball team in Corpus Christi. Um, first of all, okay, so the head groundskeeper, his name is Quince Landry. Amazing. He works at Whataburger Field <laughs> where Teal the dog hangs out and gets the foul balls at the game and everybody loves him. And I watched a video of him and the Chronicle wrote this article and I'm so obsessed with it because I, ex- I feel like it needs 
it deserves to go viral and I'll check back and nobody's retweeting it. <laughs> and he's just such a good boy. Like I really want to go see a hooks game in Corpus Christi and see Teal the dog pick up a foul ball. It's so well, see, Texan. We need to get like the dodo or something down here. To oh so like, God. look at this cute little dog, fetch a ball. Yeah. And it's, well, it's too hot. I <laughs> loved reading this story though. Cause it wasn't just about like, check out this cute dog. That's a foul dog. It's really told a story. It, yeah. it, a rich story about a beautifully um, written piece about the dog's human and about the dog himself and what led him there and how they got here and how like he originally got the dog for hunting, but this dog just doesn't really want to hunt. He's gunshot. That dog don't hunt. That dog won't literally uh, gun shy and like he'll run away from the sound of the players like metal spikes yeah. like on the, it's just beautiful and then the writing about how like he'll find a like shady patch to like lie in he'll get out of the way during practice mm-hmm. this dog sounds like an empath oh my god <laughs> <laughs> what's this like int INFP or whatever what is that uh, no, empath, I guess EM. No, we're not starting another Con- Connor Google No, Connor, don't, go- don't, don't Google. I'm just looking up animals and sports. So this is a story. I just want to like shout out to Daniel Lerner, the staff writer who published this and wrote it. It's just, I think it's a very evocative piece. And I personally, I love minor league baseball. I love it. It's low stakes. It's goofy. It's fun. It's just really great energy. Like I grew up going to... Um, Aqua Sox games in Everett, Washington, which is my grandfather's hometown. And their mascot is like a frog. And like the kids will run around the base during like the seventh inning stretch. So wait, so you said that you prefer minor league baseball to major league baseball. What are some of the, is that just like the big thing that kids can run around the bases? What makes it more appealing? So I don't, I wouldn't say I have like a preference, although I, I think the fact that I like the like calmness and the good vibes and just the funness of minor league games, yeah. that's why I like the Mariners because they're such a shitty team. I've literally, I was just telling the story last night. I've only ever met one intense Mariners fan in my life of going to Mariners games at Safeco and elsewhere. And everybody around us told them to shut up. When they started yelling at my friend and I, they're like, shut up. Like, why are you intense about the Mariners, you know? (laughs) And it's low stakes. And I just, I don't know. I really love minor league games. So I just was like, I want to go see Teal the dog, grab a foul ball and eat a hot dog and like enjoy (laughs) the sea breeze in Corpus. That's what it made me want to do. Road trip. For real though. I kind of want to. All right. You heard it here. The first live guest is going to be Teal the dog. (laughs) (laughs) Buddy, don't say it unless we can manifest it. I mean, I think there's a lot less money involved in minor league baseball, which just makes everything better. It's just, it's a game. And like minor league is like, yo, I mean, they are like players who are working towards major league careers, but I just think it's just more fun or and it's cheaper to go. <laughs> they're either working towards major careers or uh, they've fallen from grace like Roger Clemens. He uh, pitched for the Houston Astros. He was great. Turned Went to the Yankees. Turns out he was a horrible, horrible steroid abusing prick. And now he's pitching uh, in the minors. Not not to downplay people who are in the minors. You can but make a, a career people, out of it. Yeah. It's not, you know, hella money, but. Pitching for the Sugarland Skaters. Oh my God, that's what I forgot. That's the name of their minor The skaters. The skaters. Could go out to Sugarland and see the skaters, but this seems more like. And I actually, I love this story so much that I'm like worried that there's like something wrong. Like that oh, Quince that, Landry is like a QAnon dude or, or the, like the dog's, the dog's racist. racist. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get milkshake dogged <laughs> by its teal. So I have a lot invested in this story remaining pure. Oh. Whataburger Field, man. It's perfect. I the, my favorite part of the story is the uh, the uh, second pitch or no the second fetch 
So instead of the first pitch, they throw the first pitch, and then uh, the groundskeeper and the dog, they play a game of fetch before the game. And that that was the part I was like, man, this is pretty nice. <laughs> this is sweet. Maybe it is just like a personal affinity I have for the whole like vibe of minor league, but like I just yeah, I am really obsessed with this. Are story. you a dog person? No, I'm I really more of a cat person. I like dogs. I like animals, but like this is just it's just a good story. It's just such a well-written good yeah. story. Yeah. Cats and sports. All right, Who's Google needs up. to stop. I'm going to shut your laptop, dude. Mm. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Too many tabs open. Oh, oh my God. Mm. It just says here that seven cats that have invaded pro sport events. Hell yeah. On field. Uh, this is good post-show content. Well, the acro cats, I mean, they come around every once Man. in a while. Oh, I have a good acro cat story. Have so one time, them? Yeah, I've seen them. We did a show. I used to run a theater company called Boo Town. And we were doing a show at Super Happy Funland. <laughs> Where the stupid uh, crappy Dumbland. Yeah, <laughs> it's not the best venue. Um, uh, where, where I lost my train of thought. Oh, okay. The Acro Cats were uh, performing after us that night. Performing. And literally, they rolled up in the. It was like a bus. <laughs> And, uh, and the cat, the cat lady who was in charge of everyone and driving, had cat ears on yes. and there were literally cats crawling around all yes. like you could see them jumping around inside the bus, like on the dashboard, everything. And like, so we were this little, you know, indie scraggly theater company at the time, Edward Albee, who's a very famous playwright oh. was, uh, one of the, um, I don't get visiting professors or something. I don't know. At, at U of H. And, um, he showed up after what? our show to see to the, see the acro cats. Wait, <laughs> and it was just so <laughs> so frustrating. I went to U of H when Edward Albee oh was God, there. I'm so sorry. It uh, was very very. Um, it was like wh- what's the word I'm looking for? It was just very uh, de de like uh, you feel like delegitimizing. Oh yeah, yeah no. Oh. That he showed up for the Yeah, cat. and uh, also I would like to say that the show we were doing was bad. I'm actually glad that uh, Ed Robbie did not come to see it, but it just was, yeah, it was very disheartening. Maria, I saw your eyebrows shoot off your head when Edward Albee was mentioned, and I wanted to let you know, I went to U of H while he was there, and we took the bathroom breaks at the same exact time. <laughs> so I saw him every day in the urinal. It's good to know that, you know, you kind of share something in common with one of the greats, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah we, we both, all pee. we pee at the same time, and we both do that's right edward i'll be the gross man just like me <laughs> but he loves the acro cats man super happy is such a unhinged venue we had zine fest there in 2012 and it was just like the hottest loudest wildest time and then like the mountain of fucking raggedy ants also it's just like also like a cat pissed and shit all over our cables <laughs> one time there and like was it one of the acro cats or just no. a cat well they just have their own cats yeah, yeah. cat piss yeah. is very frequent there yeah. yeah well you can smell it it used to be like a porno theater i think or a theater a movie theater mm. it has so we did it has its good things and its bad things and one good thing was that you really could do anything there and we did like one of our first shows for Town was this scraggly show that was so messy like we literally poured maple syrup over one of the actors and um and then at, at the end of the show like they were cool with it like they didn't care that we got maple syrup all over their floor and we cleaned it but and also we just took her outside and hosed her off afterwards <laughs> yeah. like it wasn't like it's definitely there. It's important for spaces like that to exist. Yes, for absolutely. Sure. Yeah, I, I definitely hope it 
remains. Flaky's Pizza, on the other hand. Ah. There you go. Uh, Teal the dog. First live guest at Super Happy Funland <laughs> for the show. Okay, opening open openers are the Acro Cats. Ooh, I don't know. They might be too big for us to book. Yeah. <laughs> I have to see them sometime. Okay. Well, well, that take care of all of our news. Uh, do y'all have anything that you want to talk about or anything you're excited about this week? Man, I've got the busiest week coming up. I'm just kind of not excited in general about this coming week. So I don't have... I mean, I guess work is good. It's not. It's good to be busy, but yeah, yeah. it's not. Yeah, I have a really busy week coming up, so. Well, I'm good feeling luck. a little doom. <laughs> a doomerita might <laughs> get right up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, I got, yeah, I got a lot of work coming up. I just have to catch up, you know, so tomorrow I have a pretty busy day at work. But once I get through with that, you know, should be good. I'm looking forward to having, I guess, hopefully a two-day weekend next weekend. So fingers crossed for that. How about you, Connor? Uh, I'm honest, this is nerdy as hell, but I'm looking forward to getting into this rural internet bill. I want to learn. <laughs> is, I'm not kidding. Uh, rural broadband internet access has been like a really big thing for me. And uh, I have a lot of interest in working to, you know, I'm going back to school and I definitely have an interest in applying that degree to bringing internet to the state of Texas. Yeah. Uh, so going to look into what the state broadband development office is all about. Nice. Going to call Greg Abbott and kiss his ass. You better Ooh. not. Like, Greg, I, I, I'm sorry, Mr. Governor. Oh my God. <laughs> I was watching you veto those bills. You got a good flick at a wrist movement there, oh my man. God. Well, you better get us updated when we reconvene. Tell us what you figured out. Yeah. <laughs> How you're gonna solve the issue? Oh yeah, I'll get right on it. All right. <laughs> if Greg, if Abbott listens to this podcast, I'm fucked. <laughs> <laughs> and if any of that stuff comes to pass, you know, you'll hear about it right here on We're Calling It. Yeah, Connor, yeah, yeah. you didn't get in on All it. Right, I set you up. I'll edit it in post. <laughs> <laughs>